0: Title 35 of the United States Code Section 103 mandates that a patent not be given when the differences between the subject matter sought to be patented and the prior art are such that the subject matter as a whole would have been obvious at the time of the invention was made to a person having ordinary skill in the art. Howdy. Welcome to Skilled in the Art. We are Intellectual Property Aggies, and I'm your host, Preston Morgan. After a brief recess, we are back for a special episode with friend of the podcast, Professor Sarv Vishnabhat. Recently, a pharmaceutical company called Allergan essentially gave their patents to an Indian tribe. Professor Sarv is here to explain how and why Allergan did
1: this. Sure. So Allergan is a drug company and the patents that they transferred, it was uh, just about a half dozen of them. There weren't very many. And this is quite common in the, in the pharmaceutical industry. Right? Mm-hmm. The, the number of patents that cover a drug tends to be on the order of a handful, maybe uh, a double handful in, in extreme cases. Right. But, uh, and this is quite different from situations like uh, high technology. Right, Smartphones have dozens or even scores of patents uh, that will cover this component, uh, you know, the microchip, the audio receiver, the transmitter, whatever. So uh, it's it's extraordinarily important for a drug company to protect its patents because there are so few of them, and losing any one could be like, you know, being stripped of the crown jewels mm-hmm. um, in your portfolio. So as a result, what they have done uh, is transferred their portfolio to the St. Regis Mohawk tribe, which resides in upstate New York, and uh, the idea is that the tribe will be the owner of the patent. Mm-hmm. The tribe will then grant a license to use the patents back to Allergan. Right. And all the money that is made from the continued sale of this uh, drug, Restasis, which is a, uh, a drug that has been used to uh, cure dry eye. It's a treatment for, it's an ophthalmic, uh, ophthalmic solution to, to sort of, create artificial tears. And uh, all the money that will be made from it, the majority of it will still go to Allergan, just as was always the case. Uh, But a share of that money will go to to the tribe Mm -hmm. for their troubles. Okay, so they've done all of this, and a cut of the money is going to the tribe. The tribe likes that. But you might be asking at this point, why in the world would Allergan do this? What are they getting out of it? Right. Uh, That they'd be willing to part with even a portion of their money. Mm -hmm. And that is something called tribal sovereign immunity. Okay, Native American tribes, like state governments and the federal government of the United States, enjoy immunity from lawsuits mm-hmm. because they are sovereigns, just like the state is a sovereign and the federal government is a national sovereign. Mm-hmm. When you're a sovereign, you can't get sued. We brought that over from old England, right? You can't sue the king unless the king says you can sue me with respect to these enumerated things, right. these issues. So the federal government, for example, uh, is, as a baseline, immune from all lawsuits. But they allow themselves to be sued in certain tort actions. Mm-hmm. And so that's called the, the Federal Tort Claims Act. Right. Okay, that's an express waiver by the government of its immunity. Mm-hmm. They are saying, we forego our immunity for reasons of public policy. We want people to be able to sue us. As a way of holding us accountable. Mm-hmm. Okay. States do that too. Tribes could do that. Uh, although tribes don't sort of define their own immunity, the US Congress defines the extent and scope of tribal sovereignty. So the idea is the tribes enjoy this robust immunity from lawsuits, and if Allergan is the owner of the patents, they can be sued to have their patents invalidated. Mm-hmm. If the owner on paper of these patents is the tribe, then the tribe cannot be sued. And the patents are thereby sheltered from attack. That's what this is all about.
0: Right. So, uh, is, this, is this the first time this has happened? This is, it's a the crazy idea. The first time,
1: idea, right? it, uh, it is a crazy idea, and like a lot of great crazy ideas, it was born in Dallas. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a moment. The, uh, the question of um, whether this will work, and well let, let's step back for a second. What is it that the Allergan patents are really immune from? Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. has this has this ever been done before? Um, it has not been done in the way that we're thinking about and the way we're seeing it right now. This use of transferring patents to an entity that enjoys immunity as robust as a tribe. Mm-hmm. in order to shield it from an attack on the patents that is currently ongoing. right, right. The Restasis patents that Allergan owns are currently being challenged mm-hmm. in two different forums, actually. One is the Eastern District of Texas, where a generic drug manufacturer has uh, filed what's called a Hatch-Waxman challenge. This is where a drug company, a generic drug company, goes after the, the owner of the drug patent, the Pioneer, mm-hmm. um, drug company, and says that we, the, drug, the generic drug company, should be able to sell generic versions of this um, prior to the patent's natural date of expiration. And the reason is the patent's not valid. Mm-hmm. Okay. And our reward as the generic for mounting this challenge and acting in the public interest to invalidate these bad patents is that once the patent is invalid, we get to sell the drug and other people don't. Mm-hmm. So instead of a, mon- a monopoly where the monopolist is the drug company, you have a duopoly. That doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, drop prices all the way to competitive levels right away, but a duopoly reduces prices a little bit, mm-hmm. and in the short run incentivizes challenges to the patent. Right. Okay. So that's one challenge that's currently being mounted, and uh, that trial just recently concluded uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and. This tribal sovereign immunity shelter, you know, as I've heard it called, mm-hmm. probably won't have any effect on that. Okay. What it will have an effect on is the second challenge that's being brought against the patents, and that's in the Patent and Trademark Office. Yeah. There are administrative review proceedings that were made available, that were created by Congress, about six years ago. Uh, six years ago last week, in fact. Mm. Um, and the upshot of these proceedings is you can go back in pretty much anybody can go back in. There's no requirement that you have a concrete stake in the case or you know want to practice the invention. Or anybody can come in uh, if they have $30,000 in their pocket and can challenge these patents and say that the patent office was wrong to grant them mm. in the first instance. And in uh, a variety of these different proceedings, you can have what's called inter partes review where you can challenge it because the invention is not new or it's obvious in light of prior inventions. Mm-hmm. Or you could file what's called post-grant review on a variety of different uh, legal grounds, but those only apply to certain patents that were filed uh, after the, the law, the 2011 law, came into effect. Right. So there are a variety of ways you can mount these administrative challenges, but all of them have one thing in common. They're conducted by the patent office itself. They don't go to courts, they go to an agency, mm-hmm. and the agency applies different rules it applies more lenient rules that are more likely to result in patents being invalidated. Now, these patent review proceedings were created to get rid of bad patents, questionable patents, poor quality patents. But, of course, we don't know as a legal matter um, conclusively which ones are the bad patents up front. If we did, there'd be no need for these proceedings. So by creating more lenient rules across the board, people can go after valid patents too. Mm-hmm. And valid patents are more likely to be invalidated now than they were in court 10 years ago, let's say, wow. before this new system came into place, right? right? Mm-hmm. And what are the most likely patents to be attacked? The valuable ones, right? naturally. Mm-hmm. And the uh, if you want to get a sense of the value of the Allergan patents on restasis, in the last fiscal quarter, this is just three months out of a year, it uh, brought in over three hundred million dollars wow. for Allergan. So, you know, over the course of a year, you can do the math. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a billion dollar drug. Yeah, a billion with a B. So, um,
0: given Indians, uh, you know, Indian tribe, you know, fifteen million dollars for the patent. That's yeah, you it's,
1: know, it's a drop in the bucket. It's nothing. it's a very good deal for Allergan if it survives scrutiny. Right and. It's also a good deal for the Native American tribe because until now, most Native American tribes are just financially very, very constrained. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The few that have any resources, uh, meaningful resources at all, uh, get their in uh, get those resources, get that revenue from one source, casino gambling, and that is not a diversified, you know, sort of approach to getting revenue. Mm -hmm. And this can help them um, stabilize their uh, their resources over a longer time horizon, again, if it survives scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So in order for this patent office review to be cut off, tribal sovereign immunity was the strategy that came up. And this is the first time that that's happened. But mm-hmm. there is one prior instance where a um, another Dallas company, uh, SRC Labs, Uh, which was started by Seymour Cray, the pioneer from from the early 1980s who really Mm -hmm. brought supercomputing um, Mm -hmm. into into the fore, right? Um, A number of patents owned by the Seymour Cray sort of operation that were then licensed to this holding company, SRC, those patents were transferred to, in fact, the same Native American tribe, the St. Regis
0: Mohawk tribe,
1: Mm back in early August, and that was, uh, I think, about three and a half dozen patents. Mm-hmm. Uh, much larger portfolio, right. different technology. But those patents were not currently under attack, mm-hmm. the way the Restasis patents are currently under attack. And mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of fanfare. You know, there's mm-hmm. no sort of big public announcement the way Allergan made a public announcement, mm-hmm. put out a press release, all these sorts of things. SRC did their patent transfer on a sort of much more low-profile, mm-hmm. Uh, basis but it's public record right just like the just like the Allergan transfer is a public record once they transferred all their rights to the tribe they recorded that transfer in the patent office just like you would transfer or record the transfer of a house mm-hmm. right? the deed of a house so it is public record and that's how I discovered it yeah I was, I was kind of curious <laughs> who else has done this because this is certainly very creative yeah and what we need to figure out now is, is it actually going to work? So, so what were they protecting themselves from back then? The, uh, the SRC yeah, transfer? Yeah, the, the I think they probably had something similar in mind, Yeah. Um, which is that these patents may be challenged in the future, mm-hmm. and this would be a way to, to hedge against that.
0: Yeah. In the USPTO. In the USPTO. So, so there's nothing you can do about
1: you know, uh, the hatch, hatch waxman. Right. You know, I don't know. I actually don't know. I think that Allergan has said that this transfer to the St. Regis tribe uh, for, for the, the Rustasis patents is not intended to shield against the, the ongoing Hatch Waxman litigation. Mm. But, and I mean, Hatch Waxman litigation wouldn't be mounted against uh, supercomputing patents anyway. Mm. But the question you're really asking is would this work against a court proceeding? Right. And I think the answer is it might. Mm. There's there's no definitive answer that the answer is no, and there's good reason to think that it might. And the reason to think that, and this, I think, is what Allergan's lawyers had in mind, is that this has worked before in a different but analogous con- uh, context, and that is um, state universities. Okay. how okay. how that work? Well, there were two cases, two r- fairly recent cases. One was a... Uh, Patent Office Review, Patent Trial and Appeal Board Administrative Review of patents owned uh, by the University of Florida and the other was patents owned by the University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. Now both of these universities are public universities. They are arms of the government of the state of Florida and the government of the state of Maryland respectively. So by being public institutions in that way, by being organs of the state government, the argument was they enjoy sovereign immunity just like any other part of the state government enjoys sovereign immunity mm-hmm. from lawsuits. And the idea in those cases, the patents had been transferred to those uh, public institutions specifically for that purpose. Mm-hmm. And it worked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So the Patent Trial and Appeal Board in those cases held that uh, we are indeed foreclosed from reviewing these patents because state sovereign immunity under the 11th Amendment mm-hmm. of the Constitution and all the cases that have construed the 11th Amendment uh, bar us from you know, proceeding with a lawsuit against these these uh, sovereigns. And so the idea is, in the Allergan case, that tribal sovereign immunity is at least as strong as state sovereign immunity, perhaps mm-hmm. even stronger. Mm-hmm. And so if it worked here a fortiori, it should work even better in the tribal sovereign immunity case. And so that's really what led to this. And the firm um, that uh, that came up with this idea and brokered the deal is a Dallas-based firm, just like SRC is a Dallas-based mm-hmm. patent holding yeah. company. So, you know, it's so interesting that uh, that a lot of these very creative ideas come from patent lawyers right here in the Metroplex. Yeah, right here.
0: So you were saying how... Um... You know, uh, casinos are their main source of revenue right now, mm-hmm. and you know this is a new possibility. So, any Indian tribe can
1: can now do this if you know somebody approaches them about it. In theory, they can. Yeah, you have to satisfy certain legal requirements to enjoy sovereign immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a uh, an agency called the Bureau of Indian Affairs that resides within the the Cabinet Department, the Department of the Interior, mm-hmm. and the the BIA. Handles sort of all of these issues related to, um, to the to the various Native American tribes that are recognized by the federal government. Congress mm-hmm. makes the rules governing immunity, and the BIA implements them. Mm-hmm. And it also makes a variety of other rules. Obviously, uh, the BIA implements those too. Sovereign immunity is actually a, a fairly small part, I think, of the overall infrastructure of Native American law in this country. Uh, and I'm certainly no expert on Native American law, but from what I've learned uh, through my curiosity in following this case, Mm -hmm. is that for a tribe to be attractive to a company like Allergan or a company like SRC, they have to have a sufficiently well-developed internal legal system of adjudicating rights, of recognizing uh, transactions, and and these sorts of things. St. Regis Mohawk tribe does appear to have such a system. Mm-hmm. Right? If it's a very small tribe, uh, small in number and also small in uh, in its uh, the the, num- the amount of resources that it can bring to bear on these sorts of things, if it doesn't have a lot of uh, land uh, at its disposal, those are all indicia. Those are all reasons to think that this probably isn't a tribe that would... Legally speaking, have its act together. Mm. If push came to shove, and these patent, you know these patents were challenged, so I think what they want, uh, what Allergan and SRC and any other company that's considering the strategy would want, is the same thing any um, potential counterparty in a negotiation wants. They want a partner that can hold up its end of the bargain, mm-hmm. and that means having certain level of resources, having a certain uh, level of sophistication in business matters, and having you know. Uh, counsel, legal counsel that is uh, well trained in these sorts of issues mm-hmm. and could uh, enforce the rights and assert the rights in a strategic and productive way. So not just any tribe could do this and right. not just any patent owner would be well positioned to structure a transaction effectively in order to do this, but some of them could. Mm-hmm. Okay, and obviously one of them has. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, what's to prevent the, the tribe from going off and selling the patents to somebody else now that they own it? They, uh, you know, can they just do whatever they want with it now? I, I guess they have a bunch of like licensing agreements, but I mean, it's theirs. It
1: is, but uh, what's happened is the title to the patents has transferred to them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know, at least I don't know, the full scope of the agreement. Hmm. There may be conditions and terms and restrictions uh, on the agreement. It could have been an assignment, you, know, you can imagine this as a analogy in property, O to A in fee simple, or something a little more complicated than that, right. where it restricts the ability of the tribe to sell those patents to others. It restricts the ability of the tribe to license the patents to others uh, uh, in sort of contradistinction to... Allergan's exclusive interests, Mm -hmm. Um, so if I'm in Allergan's position uh, I'm going to structure the deal a lot more carefully and Restrictively and with much greater detail and specificity than simply to say the patents are yours uh, In exchange for some money on the back end. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the my guess is the patent uh, conveyance was structured much more uh, in much more detail
0: than that. Yeah, so so what could go wrong? What could, uh, what could make this deal go through and not be a big deal anymore?
1: Well, a couple of things at the very least. One is that the—well, at least three things, I should say. One is that the Patent Trial and Appeal Board um, says that, yeah, we decided that state sovereign immunity prohibited us from you know, doing X, Y, and Z, going after these patents— in the Florida case and in the Maryland case, but we now reverse ourselves, mm-hmm. okay? That was a panel decision, so far as I know. Those, those both were panel decisions. Um, but the, the PTAB can overrule itself. The PTAB can come up with a different decision, and that second decision is now the precedential one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that happens, then the precedent that uh, this whole deal is built on is no longer any good. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, It could be that the PTAB uh, says that, yeah, we're going to stick to our precedent, but then they get overruled on appeal. If this goes up to the Federal Circuit and the Federal Circuit says this isn't going to work, yeah. um, then the PTAB, there's not much they can do other than simply reverse course. Mm-hmm. And if the Federal Circuit agrees, then it could get overruled in the Supreme Court. Okay, mm-hmm. so all of those are the sort of within the existing framework, what do we do? Federal Circuit, uh, the patent trial and appeal board could reverse itself. Federal Circuit could reverse could reverse the... Reverse the patent office or the Supreme Court could step in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's one potential way to think about this. Another is that um, tribal sovereign immunity itself takes a hit. Mm. Okay, well, what I mean by that is that the idea of sovereign immunity, the idea that the government should be immune from lawsuits, has been under attack in the case law in scholarly commentary and literature for for a pretty long time Mm -hmm. and tribal sovereign immunity has been the exception to this rule Mm -hmm. okay it has survived uh in an era when the rules governing state sovereign immunity and even federal sovereign immunity have gone further and further in the direction of allowing people to sue Mm -hmm. okay so sovereign immunity the immunity accorded to sovereigns has gotten weaker and weaker The presumptions about sovereign immunity have gotten weaker and weaker. Mm. And what that means is that tribal sovereign immunity, as an analytical matter, more and more sticks out like a sore thumb. It's the exception to this general trend. And so people are gonna suddenly take a look and say, well, why is tribal sovereign immunity different? Mm. Is it special? Or is it just that we haven't had occasion to rethink? You know, it's just an historical accident. The tribal sovereign immunity remains so robust mm-hmm. because state sovereign immunity—the law has changed because lawsuits have been filed, mm-hmm. and the immunity defense was asserted, and it was un- the defense was eventually undermined. Not many people have paid much attention to tribal sovereign immunity relative to state and federal governments. Mm-hmm. So it may just have been that the the tribes were lying under the radar, and suddenly they're they're on everybody's radar. So it could be that tribal sovereign immunity. As it applies in this case, does protect patents. But all that has to change for that no longer to be the case is for Congress to step in and say, we hereby change what tribal sovereign immunity means. Mm. Okay? Yeah. And the third thing is uh, Congress stepping in and saying that the patent law should be construed. It's sort of a middle ground. Mm. Okay? It's not that. The current system will govern going forward. Mm -hmm. The the current system of tribal sovereign immunity and the law of patents and the precedent in the the patent office uh, may be appropriate. And these guys structured their deal perfectly under existing law. But now existing law is about to change. And the change Mm -hmm. might be less severe than just getting rid of tribal sovereign immunity altogether. It might be an amendment to the Patent Act or an amendment to tribal sovereign immunity uh, by Congress that simply says this problem we are resolving legislatively by either confirming that uh, patent office reviews are uh, barred by tribal sovereign immunity, so they're affirming the outcome. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's probably unlikely because this is such a a new and clever thing that has a lot of people up in arms. I think there's going to be a lot of resistance to it. Yeah. Uh, because it just seems too much like Allergan is gaming the system, right? Right. But Um, resistance from who? Like who's who's resistance from people who want to be able to to engage in these patent challenges. Remember the, the system of patent office review was created through a bipartisan legislative consensus just six years ago. Mm -hmm. So that means that enough people wanted this new system to come into existence that it came into existence. Mm -hmm. And this tribal sovereign immunity strategy runs completely contrary to that. So any patent can be shielded from patent office review by transferring it to a state university or transferring it to a Native American tribe, if that's all it takes to undo a law, a recent law, that had a large bipartisan consensus behind it, it's probably safe to say as a matter of political economy that the same people who wanted this law to come into effect are going to want additional changes at the margin to preserve the effect of the law. Yeah. Okay. So the same people who wanted the America Invents Act, which created these patent office reviews, are going to step up and say, "Look, if we want to change the patent office review system, let's talk about that. Let's have that conversation. But this can't be the way to do it. Right. Right. A, a tribal immunity shelter. That's just. Uh, that's too clever by half. We we don't want to. We don't want that to be the way the patent system is run. So. Congress could step in and make a modest change and say these are okay, but that's unlikely. Mm-hmm. They could say these are not okay, but they're only not okay insofar as tribal sovereign immunity is being used as an end run around patent office validity review. Okay? The Congress doesn't have to go further and say all tribal sovereign immunity is now on the chopping block. They could, but they don't have to. And so those are the three sort of ways in which this could play out, legislatively in a modest fashion, legislatively in a much more aggressive fashion to cure what some people might think is the larger problem with sovereign immunity for Native American tribes, mm-hmm. or this could be dealt with entirely in the judicial process by simply construing existing laws mm-hmm. um, in one way or another.
0: Do you think that uh, the idea of taking away another stream of possible stream of revenue for Native Americans could... You know, play a play a factor in it. I mean, the idea of you know taking away something that they have—they have what their other thing is casinos. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the this is their other thing now. So,
1: well, casinos are distinguishable from uh, this sort of thing, I think, for at least one important reason, which is that the business of casino gambling or you know uh, gaming more generally is you're providing a service that people want in exchange for money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, it's a substantive service. The service that the St. Regis Mohawk tribe is providing in this situation is arbitraging a legal protection that it has. Mm-hmm. And that is different in kind, I think, from providing a service in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a sort of a service unto itself or a product unto itself. So the fact that Native American tribes have this privilege and they're using the privilege to diversify their income source. I think diversifying income and uh, sort of making Native American tribes more well-off financially is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one that uh, a lot of public interest groups can plausibly get behind. I think it's something that Congress uh, could take into account. And in my view, probably should take into account. Um, But is this the right way to do that is the real question. And if a government granted immunity from a lawsuit, this sort of legal privilege that you enjoy, is something that you are now extending to other people, well, if you have property, you're free to sell it or rent it out or give it away. But... We don't always think in those terms for legal privileges, Mm -hmm. right? You can't sell a legal privilege analytically the same way you can sell a car or sell a house or sell an iPhone. Um, And it's not clear that you should be able to. That's really the question here. Mm. Um, And I think if Congress steps in and does anything with this, it's probably going to be with a strong argument by you know, uh, lobbyists and, and people with influence in Washington who have a lot to say about this, I think it's going to be with a strong sense that what the tribe is doing is clever, what the tribe is doing is for admirable goals, but it's not the sort of precedent that we necessarily want to set, particularly because the privilege that the tribe enjoys is one that is fading, in other contexts, Mm -hmm. state sovereign immunity, federal sovereign immunity um, are on the decline. And how would we feel, by the way, if a state government turned around and said, whatever you want to shield from lawsuits, sell to us, (laughs) right? Yeah. That would seem like a pretty egregious abuse of power by the government, by a government Mm -hmm. um, that's making use of laws that are intended to protect it from for quite different reasons. Right. Right. So as, as the world changes and laws don't change as quickly, um, we can find what some people would call loopholes, what other people would ca- find, you know, would call uh, just strategic ways to comply with existing law.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's just a question of fine. It's a good strategy and it's an effective strategy under current law. But all that does is raise the question of whether the current law should change. Mm-hmm. And for that we need to look to questions of public policy and what's good for society.
0: Going back to the, you know, the, the real patent stuff and away from the public policy, where does the, how does the timing come into effect of like, uh, you know, depending on when the company assigns the patent to the Indian tribe, how does that affect uh, the district court and
1: the, you know, the patent office? Okay, so the district court if the district court is engaged in a review of the validity of a patent, then stepping in with a claim of tribal sovereign immunity is not something on which there's any precedent that I'm aware of in this context, Mm in the tribal sovereign immunity um, of the, the St. Regis tribe or any other. If it's the patent office, if the transfer had been made before the challenge was mounted, you'd certainly have a stronger argument than if the transfer was made right after or during the pending challenge in the patent office. Um, But that latter case is exactly what's happened in the Allergan situation. Mm -hmm. The briefing had already uh, taken place on some of these patent office reviews of the Restasis patents, and Allergan transferred the patents over to uh, the tribe, St. Regis tribe, and immediately moved to dismiss. Mm. The, the pending, already pending, patent office review. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously the challengers, Mylan Pharmaceuticals, uh, that were engaged in this patent office review that initiated it, uh, said, look, this is bad faith. I mean, this, this is clear attempt to evade uh, a congressionally enacted system of, of reviewing patent validity. This should not even be entertained. Mm-hmm. Um, they've known about this for months. They've waited um, this is bad faith and you know, unfair dealing all over the place. And the Patent Office said, no, we' we'll, we'll hear a briefing on this, okay because it is a, an issue that they thought they should uh, fully consider because it is a question of first impression, at least with respect to tribal sovereign immunity. They have the Florida and, and Maryland state sovereign immunity cases on the books, mm-hmm. but they accepted additional briefing. Uh, it's unclear how that uh, decision will will now come down. Um, if they come down in favor of myelin and against the exercise of tribal sovereign immunity, they will have to find a way to distinguish Mm -hmm. from the state sovereign immunity cases already decided. Or they will simply have to overrule them. Um, When would that happen? So the briefing has, uh, additional briefing and hearings have already uh, been ordered. I think it would probably happen within the next uh, month or two. I'd be surprised if it took much longer into the fall than that. Right. Um, So we should have uh, an answer about that narrow question of what the patent office is going to do. And then whatever the patent office does, either Mylan or Allergan and the tribe are going to appeal. And so we'll have to see what the federal circuit would do. And in the press release that Allergan released um, regarding this transaction, it was clear that they had hired some very sophisticated... Uh, lawyers who were experts not only in patent law but also some folks who were experts in tribal sovereign immunity law Mm -hmm. to gauge the likelihood that this would succeed. And that's a fundamentally creative exercise, right? You're trying to um, predict the future, and the future may not very well be predictable. So based on existing precedent in the Federal Circuit, I think they have a sense at least, Allergan's lawyers have a sense that Federal Circuit precedent is on their side as well. So this may need to go, if they're right, um, this may need to go to the Supreme Court to get resolved judicially or to Congress to, to change the system.
0: Big thanks to Professor Sarv for coming back on the podcast for this special episode. Small update. Since we have recorded this episode, as expected, the Indian tribe has since waived their right to claim sovereign immunity in federal court. Special thanks to Jonathan Minasana and Andrew Goodwin for putting this podcast together. The intro is a mashup of music from Peas. You can find them on SoundCloud and Supreme Court audio from Oye.com. On the sax, we have our very own Mad Pellegrino. This has been Skilled in the Art. I'm Preston Morgan. Thanks for listening.